Uh, good morning, Murphy Church. How you doing today? Well, if as you're being seated, if you will find your Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 17 today. Now, I do want to let you know the next couple weeks are pretty significant within our calendar. Next week is Palm Sunday. After the services next week around noon, we're going to be having a church-wide lunch and an Easter egg hunt. So make sure you bring the kids ready to go for the Easter egg hunt. Uh, Bring grandchildren, nephews, nieces, kids running around the neighborhood, whoever you find. Just bring them. You say, well, we don't have kids yet. Well, you can come enjoy the meal together, and I think you'll also just enjoy watching the little guys uh, run around and pick up Easter eggs. It's, it's a lot of fun to be there. Then the following Sunday is Easter. I want to encourage you to be here for Easter. Also, find somebody that you can invite to come to church on Easter Sunday. Two times a year, people that don't go to church very often are very likely to come if you just invite them Christmas and Easter. So invite somebody to come with you on Easter We're going to do a lot of things around the campus to try to make it a special day for everybody. Here in the worship service, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, and I think it'll be a great, uplifting worship hour and day. So bring somebody with you on Easter. We're going to start the day at 7 a.m. up at Murphy City Hall where there's a big lake out there. We're going to gather as the sun's coming up and have an acoustical uh, morning gathering. And then we'll come here and have our services at 8.30 9.45 and 11 o'clock as usual. We'll also have the life group classes going. And I, I, I've been told that in the life group classes, we're going to try to have some food. So, I mean, it's always good when you have food in life group, isn't it? So, uh, our passage today, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. The Bible says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is a passage of Scripture that is about spiritual warfare. You say, Lash, do we believe in angels and demons and spiritual warfare? Well, absolutely we do because the Bible speaks of it over and over again. Each of us have a physical side and we also have a spiritual side. And so we live in a physical world, but there's also a spiritual world that is alive around us. In our physical world, that's where we take in things that are empirical. It's where we see, we taste, we touch, we hear, we smell. That's our physical side, but then there's also this spiritual side where a lot of the battle, a lot of the struggle is unseen. The spiritual side might be less obvious, but it's just as real. In the physical world, things are usually temporary in nature. They're not going to last forever, but in the spiritual world, things are eternal in nature. The physical world shapes a lot of what we do. We have to get up. We have to go to work. We have to pay the bills. We have to eat. We have to sleep. The spiritual battle, though, shapes who we are. In the physical world, things are often very measurable. For example, I've, I've got this Fitbit thing that I got a couple years ago here, and, 
It helps me uh, measure things in my physical world. I, uh, my heart rate right now is 83. It's actually higher than it was in the last service. Uh, my, I've taken 3,075 steps. I've got to walk a little bit more in this sermon, I guess. And uh, it tells me that I've burned 1,243 calories so far. And it'll even tell me how much I slept last night. What's that doing? It's measuring things in my physical world, but my spiritual world, it's concerned with things that are a little bit more difficult to measure. Things like love, relationships, family, forgiveness. Where is the depth of life? Where is meaning found? Do you have hope? Can you live in grace? Can you extend grace to others? In our physical world, our victories come in the form of you cross the finish line, you close the deal, uh, you receive the diploma, you finally pay off that debt. In the spiritual world, victories look a little different. It's a joy that is complete. It's a deep-seated contentment. It's a peace that really goes beyond your understanding. It's having hope and faith when it would be much easier to have fear and doubt. Our physical world is often guided by our need to survive. We need food, water, shelter. And so in our physical world, you do what you have to do in order to survive and in order to try to get ahead. Our spiritual world, though, is guided by principle. It's who you are. It's what's driving you to do what you do. In your spiritual world, you can be righteous or unrighteous, good or evil, loving or hateful, peaceful, vengeful. The spiritual world is what I think Jesus was talking about when He spoke the Beatitudes, when He said something to us like, the poor in spirit are blessed for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who mourn are blessed for they will be comforted. The gentle are blessed for they will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed for they will be filled The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. The peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. If someone wanted to ruin your life, really mess you up, what they could do is lure you to live entirely in the physical world and completely neglect your spiritual world. Just live in what has to be done in order to survive. Only live in that which can be empirically observed. Don't live with depth. Don't live with any soulfulness. Just simply do the things that you have to do and make that your entire existence. You say, well, Lash, I, I can't even imagine living that way. Well, it's actually pretty easy to do. Because here's the, here's the challenge with the physical realm. And that is that in the physical world, you're really never satisfied. 
If all you do is live in the physical world, you're always motivated because you're never satisfied. We talked about this a little bit in the passage last week, but let's remember, for example, food. Tonight at 5 o'clock, our senior citizens are going to do a fish fry out on the deck. I'm going to come. No, not because I'm a senior citizen. I'm going to come because they invited me. And guess what? I'm going to eat. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and confess my sins right now. I'm going to overeat. Right? I'm going to eat catfish. I'm going to eat fried hush puppies. Hopefully, there'll be some coleslaw. Hopefully, there'll be some tea. And I'm going to eat and eat and eat. And when I get home, I fully expect to be fully satisfied. I will not be able to eat another bite. I'll go to bed. And guess what? I'll wake up in the morning and I'll want breakfast. Because in the physical world, I'm never really ever satisfied. I'm only satisfied for a moment. Now, this also takes place when it comes to greed or money. You think, if I can only get to this place financially, then I'll have everything I need. And then you get to the point where uh, you have money, 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 and you still want something else. It happens with sex. It happens with power. It happens with experiences. It happens with self-expression or adrenaline junkies. Uh, You're never fully satisfied. You have one moment of physical achievement, and then the next thing you know, you're unsatisfied, and you're wanting to do something else. Have you ever thought about how unlikely it is that a poor man who never really traveled away from home, who lived over 2,000 years ago, before electricity, before media. He died young. He died a horrific death. He was executed. Have you ever thought about how unlikely it is from a purely rational standpoint that Jesus would transform the world, that Jesus would be so so dramatic in his message that literally we, he divides time in half. It's before Christ, after Christ. If you read the news stories today, many of them point back, they have some connection back to the life of Jesus. I think one of the primary reasons why Jesus was so dynamic in his message is because at the heart of Jesus' message is a call to find spiritual satisfaction in a physical world that is full of turmoil and dissatisfaction. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, Whenever people insult you and persecute you, rejoice and be glad. He was teaching that it's possible that even when people are telling lies about you, they're doing you wrong, they're undercutting you, it's still possible for you to have a deep-seated spiritual joy and happiness that comes from above. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Come to me all of you who are weary and burdened. Is there anybody in the room today that when you walked in, you felt a little bit weary or burdened? Jesus says, come to me, and I'll give you rest. He was talking about satisfaction. He wasn't just talking about your physical world, that I'll take away all your problems, I'll take away all your work. I'll give you a rest in your soul. In John chapter 4, he's talking to a woman 
who had tried every avenue that the physical world had to offer her to try to find some sort of satisfaction in her life and meaning. And he says to her, whoever drinks from the water I will give him will never thirst again. In Christ, there was this message of spiritual satisfaction. And Jesus invited us into the unseen world to experience in him peace, joy, hope that the physical world simply cannot comprehend. But Jesus didn't just invite you into the spiritual world. One of the really neat things about my Savior is that He equipped us to survive and to thrive in that world. Look in your Bibles to verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 13. This is why... You must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Verse 14 begins again with the word stand. So two times we're encouraged to take our stand and to stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is God's word. Now, to be completely transparent with you, these verses right here are so rich in spiritual truth that I could probably preach for a couple of months just on these verses. But I've discovered over the years that whenever your sermon lasts a couple of months, that it's bad for church attendance. And because of that, uh, I'm going to have to cover these a little bit quickly today. But I do want to talk about three realities about how you and I can thrive in the spiritual world. And the first reality that I want you to take note of is that spiritual growth is primarily a work of God within you. Look at verse 10 again. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and His vast strength. So where are we strengthened? What's the source of our strength? Talk to me. The Lord. Remember that famous verse in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, the t-shirt verse. I can do all things through Christ. What's the last part of it? who strengthens me. They always leave that part off the t-shirt. I don't know if the fees are too expensive to put that on it or something like that. But we just say, I can do all things through Christ. But the real key to that verse is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you really read the passage, it's talking about the struggles that we face within the physical world, and yet we can face these struggles because of the strength that God gives us, and I can do all things through Christ because He gives me strength. We like to be self-sufficient. Most of us in the room are Texans. Texans are known for being independent. We're self-sufficient. And in the physical realm, being strong and independent, it's often seen as a quality of a leader. It's how you thrive. It's how you get ahead. But you got to realize that in the spiritual realm, it's not about you being self-sufficient. It's about you being God-dependent. 
your strength in the spiritual realm comes from God. And you're here, one of the main reasons you're here is because you want to grow spiritually. It's one of the reasons you got up and came to church today. For you to grow spiritually, you can't just try to be a better you. You can't just say, hey, I'm going to read my Bible every day, I'm going to come to church more, I'm going to try to quit cussing and treat people okay, and, and then I'll grow spiritually. God has to do a work in you that goes beyond you. If you just try to do better, you're probably going to mess it up. Uh, I, I'm the proud owner of the world's worst washing machine. I mean, this washing machine comes directly from the pits of misery. And I, I bought it a couple of years ago as a dent and scratch special, and it's been broken like five, six times just in the last year and a half or so. And so the other day, Stacy comes in. She says, hey, the washing machine's broken again. I'm like, well, what else is new? You know, I asked her if she fixed it. She said, no, I didn't fix it. And uh, so, uh, so uh, what's wrong with it? Well, it's not, it's not pumping water out. So I think to myself, I'm going to be self-sufficient in this. So I, I get me a YouTube video. You can fix anything with a YouTube video, right? So I get me a YouTube video, turn the washing machine over. You know, water goes all over the utility room that I didn't see that was inside the tub. And, and uh, you know, I, I start squirting the water out, and I get the, the water pump that gone bad. So I get that off, and it's connected by three wires. And so I'm like, okay, in order to put a new water pump on there, I need to take these wires off. So I pull the first one, and the wire breaks. Well, that should have been my first hint to stop, but I, the second wire, the wire breaks again. So now, not only do I have a broken water pump, but the wires are all broken on the machine as well. So I call Mr. Fix-It, my friend Steve, and he comes over, and he looks at it, and he says, what did you do? I said, I tried to fix it. He says, he looked at Stacy. he said, next time this breaks, before you let Lash try to fix it, call me. Uh, you know, don't let him try to fix it again, because on my own, even though I was trying to be self-sufficient. All I did was make things a lot worse. And if you try to grow spiritually by simply trying harder, you're going to mess it up. The way that you grow spiritually is you draw near to God. God does a work within you. And yes, there are these spiritual disciplines, but they're all driven by the engine of the Holy Spirit who is at work within you. Spiritual growth is a gift, not an accomplishment. God transfers to you power that enables you to grow. Now, a second truth I want you to notice today, and that is that God will use your physical battles to grow you spiritually. In verse 12, the Scriptures say, For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Now, let me ask you this question. What are your biggest physical battles that you are facing right now? If you take inventory of your life, what are your big challenges in the physical realm? It might be school. What am I going to major in in college? What am I going to do after college? Uh, It could be in your work. Am I on a good career path? Do I have enough money? What about the house? We need to renovate. We need to buy a new house. Maybe it's your health. I'm struggling in this health issue uh, that I'm dealing with right now. Uh, In every physical challenge that life brings you, God brings you a spiritual opportunity to mature and grow stronger in Him. 
Now, I'm not really sure exactly why it works this way, but it's just something that, that is true. Whenever we face trouble or trials in the physical realm, God is at work in the spiritual realm. And as we go through those challenges in the physical realm, God is maturing us and growing us spiritually. I venture to guess that nobody got up this morning and prayed for trouble. You didn't say, Lord, please fill this day with a complexity of problems that cause me to just anguish every moment of the day. Please make this day full of trials. In your name, I claim it. You know, I I doubt that any of us prayed that way. I don't encourage you to run to trouble. Nevertheless, all of us have trouble in our lives. And God, spiritually, is at work whenever we go through the physical trials in this world. That's why James says, Consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds, because in those trials, God is at work within us spiritually to grow us in Him. That's where He's beginning to transfer some of that strength that you need, because as you go through those challenges at work, in the home, at school, wherever it might be, God begins to transfer spiritual strength to you that allows you to take your stand and face the challenges that are ahead. And He grows you as a person, the essence of who you are, beyond just the physical realm. Now, there's a third spiritual reality, and that is that God equips you for the battle. God does give us these spiritual disciplines. He gives us the Word of God. He gives us the church. He gives us other Christians in our life. He gives us opportunities where we are equipped for the spiritual battle that we face in life. So the imagery here within the passage is a war scene. Imagine yourself standing in that ancient Roman battle line. I've always been fascinated by those old Roman movies. And so there you are. You're out in the battlefield. You have your shield, and you're standing there, and you're getting ready for battle. And about a half a mile away is the enemy army. There's all those barbarians, and there they are with the wild hair, missing teeth, and you're getting ready for the battle to start. And they're trying to intimidate you. And so they take their swords and their axes, and they bang them on the shields, and they scream at the top of their lungs. And then the general, he waves his arms, and the barbarian army begins to move, and you see the front line charging at you, and the horses begin to come. And then, and then, this the, the great part of the movie is whenever the archers, whoosh, and they all let go of the arrows. And in ancient warfare, they didn't just shoot arrows at you. They set those arrows on fire and then shot them at you. And so there you are, standing in the line as the barbarians come at you. What you going to do when the fiery arrows are shot at you? What are you going to do at that point? Well, the Scriptures talk about the evil one shooting these fiery arrows at us in spiritual warfare, and the Bible tells us to prepare ourselves. Before a soldier goes to war, 
He readies his equipment. He readies his soul. He studies the enemy so that he might understand the enemy's tactics so that he's ready. So as you stand there in the military line and the arrows are flying through the air, you look at those and go, wow, look at that, Paul. There's fiery arrows coming at us. What do you think that, oh, man, that hurt, you know? I mean, you're ready. So as you've prepared yourself and you know the enemy's tactics, whenever you see the fiery arrows coming at you, you have the shield of faith and you're ready for them and you know exactly what you're going to do when you're faced with that situation. The Bible also teaches us to take our stand, to make a determination that in this battle, You're not going to run. You have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and you're not going to waver from that. You're not going to run, and you recognize this. The guy next to you is counting on you. Your children are watching you. You're setting the tone for your grandchildren today. And how you face the challenges in the physical world, the spiritual depth that is within you, people are watching that. So stand firm and don't run from the battles that are ahead of you. Don't cower in fear, but take your stand and continue in faith. And thirdly, the Bible tells us, put on our armor. A lot has been made in the Christian community uh, about this section of Scripture, about putting on our armor. I chose not to have Paul Packabush come and model Roman armor for us today. But the Bible says that we are to put the belt of truth around our waist, that we are to put the sandals of peace on our feet, to equip ourselves with the shield of faith in our hand, to have the helmet of salvation on our head and the sword of the Spirit in your hand as you face these battles. Martin Luther was a troubled young man. He had a great intellect, and because of that, he was recognized as a great thinker. He surrendered his life to the priesthood, and he became a Catholic monk, and he wanted to grow spiritually. He took the things of God very very seriously. In fact, he wanted to grow spiritually so much that he would do whatever the church told him to do. In the Catholic church, they have confession, so he would go to confession and He would confess his sins and confess his sins and confess his sins. And then he would leave the confession booth and he'd remember something that he'd forgotten to confess. So he'd go back to the confession booth. Eventually, the higher-ranking priest told him, Brother Martin, you're coming to confession too often. (laughs) You know, you're driving us crazy. But he wanted to grow spiritually. And he was bothered by his own inabilities. He began having some mental disturbance. It began affecting who he was, and so his uh, supervisors had him leave and go to the University of Wittenberg, and there he was supposed to gather himself and get his life in order, and he was going to teach the book of Romans. Well, one night as he was studying the book of Romans there in the tower at Wittenberg, he came across a verse of Scripture that is a quote from the book of Habakkuk, where the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. 
there was a light that came on in Martin Luther's soul that night. God spoke to him in a way that Martin Luther had never experienced. And suddenly, the idea of salvation and putting on the helmet of salvation became a reality to Martin Luther, and he began to find a radical freedom, and God began to grow him, and he began to speak about the freedom that he had in Christ. And so God began to use Martin Luther, and what had happened to him there in that tower began to spread to others throughout Europe. And millions of people were experiencing the peace and growth that I'm talking about today. Well, a a funny thing happens whenever people begin having a revival or God begins doing a great thing. Some people don't like it. And so Martin Luther found himself in trouble with the church. And in 1521, Luther found himself in a battle, a spiritual battle, at an event that history calls the Diet of Worms. That's what it's called, the Diet of Worms. And in that event, there was a moment of truth where the church leaders told him, you can recant and you will live. If you continue in this path, you will die. And so Luther had to make a choice. Am I going to continue to take my stand, or am I going to cower in fear and run? Here were his words. I am mastered by the passages of Scripture, which I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant, for it is neither safe nor honest to violate one's conscience. I can do no other. Here I take my stand, and God being my helper, so let it be. If you study Luther's life, at that moment, God began in Luther an intense season of spiritual growth. And through the providence of God, his life was spared, and ultimately, Martin Luther became one of the greatest spiritual minds the world has ever known. As he went through the physical battles, God grew him spiritually. As Christians, God has called us to take our stand in the physical world and live differently, strengthened by the power of God, to realize that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And so my prayer for you today is that you will take your stand, that you will put on the full armor of God, that you will fight the unseen battle, and you will seize the opportunities that God is giving you to mature and grow stronger in Him. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? The band is going to come, and they're going to lead us in a song in a few moments. If you're here today, and God has been working in your life, and perhaps today, like Luther, you're feeling the light of God's Word shine deeply into the darkness of your soul. 
and you're feeling the Holy Spirit lead you to a point of salvation. That moment where you place your faith in Christ and you become a believer. If that's where you are, then right now I invite you to call out to God and ask Him for His salvation. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord. If today is the day of salvation in your life, I want to be a pastor to you. I want to encourage you and help you however I may. You can come see me during this next song. You can come see me after the service. But if you're taking that spiritual step today in your life, please talk to me because I want to be an encouragement to you. Our heads are bowed, and I realize that in this room today, there are a lot of people that come through the doors burdened and weary, needing rest. And I pray that you might have spiritual rest. There's a lot that has to be done in the physical world. That's never going to change. But I pray that deep within you, there's a contentment, there's a joy, there's a strength, a power, a hope. There's depth to you. And that you do what you do out of a heart that desires to glorify God. Heavenly Father, I pray for this dear church. I pray that you might draw us to be more like you. Help us, Lord, not to be distracted by all the physical problems that we miss what you're doing in the spiritual realm. Lord, grow us, strengthen us, mature us. Help us to know you as Father and to proclaim your love to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.